and welcome to this podcast sponsored by Zurich Insurance Group. The COVID-19 pandemic has laid bare the lack of preparation of governments, companies and individuals for unexpected events. In this podcast, we'll take a look at the specific factors that go into building resilience within a company to any one of the numerous potential global risks that could strike. I'm Satwant Panda, and joining me today to discuss this are Eugenie Molyneux, Chief Risk Officer of Commercial Insurance, and Guy Miller, Chief Market Strategist and Head of Macroeconomics, both from Zurich Insurance Group. Now, the COVID-19 outbreak has understandably narrowed everyone's focus on the risk of pandemics. Eugenie, should businesses be preparing for another pandemic, or is there a different global risk that we should be focused on? Yeah, good question. I think if there's one lesson to be learned from COVID-19, it's that we need to focus on the totality of the risk landscape. The World Economic Forum's Global Risks Report had actually warned several times of the risk of a pandemic. And yet somehow because the risk did not feel perhaps immediate, we were still unprepared. So this shouldn't be interpreted to mean that every risk on the landscape is applicable to every business. That's not the case. But it does mean that businesses need to be looking at both the direct and indirect risks to their business, including risks that may not immediately be on the horizon. And Guy, what are the characteristics of a resilient company? I think predicting the next crisis or the next shock is, is almost very difficult. But I think from a company's perspective, being flexible and adaptable, I think, are undoubtedly keys to success. Creating that time and space to be able to look forward and around you rather than constantly kind of firefighting, I think, is, is a way to make sure you're in a good position. Companies have always operated in a risk environment. I mean, if you think back uh, through history, we've had world wars, we've had, you know, the downing of the Berlin Wall, we had China entering the, the WT. All, all of these created issues from a, an operational perspective. And resilient companies have the ability to, I think, take advantage of these issues. I mean, we tend to think about risks, but I always think we should think about the opportunities. And the good companies are the ones that put themselves in a position to take advantage of these risks when they come about. Yes, I completely agree with what Guy has said. I think also some of the old-fashioned risk management techniques we might have once had may come back into play again. You know, we've moved to more of a just-in-time world. And the reality is now with some of these disruptions, maybe we'll see greater stocks of inventory. So some of those old fashioned techniques, such as diversity of, of products and distribution channels, things like redundancy in goods and supplies may just come back. Looking at the global corporate landscape, do you see any geographies or industries as being clearly more resilient than others to a crisis? And if so, how do they achieve it? Yeah, the short answer for me is no. And the reason is because not all geographies and industries are equal. So what you're going to see is some geographies, some industries, more susceptible, for example, to weather-related events than others. But then by the same token, you can look at other industries and maybe they're more susceptible to financial events. What I would say is in a world, and if I give you a tangible example, in a world that's subject to global warming, the differing starting points of various geographies also play a role. So one degree Celsius of warming is accompanied by an increase in humidity. So if you're starting in a location that's already very humid, you've very quickly reached the point where it goes beyond human tolerance. So that's an impact to that geography specifically versus others. 
The other thing that I did think that we saw in this year's Global Risks Report was the mid-term critical threat of resource geopolitization. Resource and availability and consumption differs by geography and by industry. So again, it depends on what industry you're in, what resources you're using as to whether you have a benefit or perhaps a risk. But coming back to something Guy said earlier, I do see that most risks provide opportunities for companies. So it's a question of understanding those pieces. I think a couple of the things that really strike me when you look around the world about, you know, successful companies or businesses, there is a commonality, which is that they spend an R&D, you know, they, they invest in making sure they keep ahead. And I think really importantly, and this applies to countries as well, they invest in education, they invest in having the best skills of people coming in that allow them to adapt to changing circumstances. And I think when you put the R&D component to continued training and education, and that sounds good, but actually, if you look at the companies who succeed in a variety of environments, in a variety of locations, I would say these are two of the commonalities that they have that we can perhaps learn from. So we've seen the COVID-19 pandemic hit global supply chains with astonishing force. What are some of the lessons companies can learn from this that will help ensure more resilient supply chains when the world confronts a crisis of a different sort? So I do think what we're learning from this current pandemic is perhaps the way your business needs to respond regardless of the nature of the shock. Yeah. So, you know, in other words, will your sales drop? And in what scenarios will your sales drop? And therefore, do you need more supplies? Or are those supply chains going to hold up regardless? Similarly, I think the other learning we're seeing in the current pandemic is in relation to technological capabilities. We definitely saw a shift to working from home very rapidly for some sectors, more so than others, but it did depend on having those capabilities available. So VPN capacity, video conferencing, that sort of thing. The other thing that I thought we saw really sharply was for bricks and mortar retail businesses, where those businesses already had an online presence, they could just transition. Yeah, Businesses that didn't have it had to build it and were slower to adapt. And Guy, according to the World Economic Forum's Global Risks Report, only 28 economies are expected to have grown in 2020. So how can businesses prepare for growth while navigating the long-term economic impact of the pandemic? Yeah, it's been a remarkable 12 months. When you're in the midst of a pandemic um, or the worst recession come depression in 100 years, it's important that uh, during these times of crisis that companies are aware of the support mechanisms that have been put in place. If you think about, uh, you know, the grants that are being offered in many parts of the world, very low interest loans are being offered to companies. Governments are trying to keep their productive fabric of society intact. They're trying to keep companies, particularly small companies, able to survive so that when things open up again, that capacity is already there. They can, they can bring back on stream production very quickly. They're able to maintain uh, their workforce. But I think one of the things from here is that, you know, I strongly believe there will be uh, a very brisk recovery when things begin to open up again. 
And what we need to make sure is that companies are well positioned for that, that they've taken advantage of these opportunities that are being offered to them. It's beginning to think forward, to think about where could the economy be going in 12 months' time? Where do they see the opportunities? Where do they want to perhaps relocate or adjust their business models uh, to capitalise on that? All of these things have to be going on now before things really pick up again. And um, Eugenie, one of the big takeaways from the, over the last year or so is the importance of resilience within the workforce. So what should companies include in their resilience programmes to benefit worker well-being while also protecting productivity? I think what most employees are going to look for more than anything else is certainty. Even if they don't necessarily like the answer, they need to know where they're going, what the future holds. So when events like this occur... The sooner a company can provide some clarity and answer their questions that the employees have, then the sooner the employees have some of that certainty or that security that they might be looking for. Of course, a situation like the one we currently have means perhaps those answers aren't immediately available. So the more that companies, shall we say, introduce regular communications and make sure they give the employees opportunities to ask questions and have them answered, I do think is going to be important. And companies will need to get a handle on the spectrum of those needs and work out how to manage them. And one of those factors really should be around the mental health. Because as long as the mental health of the employees is held up, then the productivity will remain. I think maybe if I, I may just add to that, but I think, you know, going beyond COVID, in this world that we're in, you know, one of the big uncertainties is around digitization. Workers feel vulnerable, a bit insecure. And I think, again, when we look further out, providing the training, providing the support, providing the communications about how this can also be an opportunity and investing in that, uh, I think, leads to better worker mental health as well and everything else that goes with, with that. And a key one is going to be, I think, undoubtedly diversity. If this crisis has taught us anything, it's making sure if you have a diverse workforce, it creates diversity of thought and it creates new new solutions to new problems. Thank you. And when crises hit, it quickly becomes clear that the private sector cannot solve the problem alone. But equally, it's not possible to outsource the solution to the government. Um, are there specific ways in which public and private sectors can work together to build resilience to future crises? Whilst systemic risks do require public support, I do feel that large corporates may be required in future to be somewhat resilient to begin with. You know, when COVID-19 hit, we did see some examples of companies not really being able to last very long or survive very long without public support. So I could see that in the future, perhaps it might be required that companies might, you know, need to build a resilience, say, for months, you know, maybe not years, obviously, you know, that could not be done without public support. But I do think perhaps there's going to be this view that both sides need to contribute. And Guy, what are the practical steps companies can take to keep their resilience programs up to date and flexible enough to take into account what you call in this year's Global Risks Report, frontier risks? The potential risks that are less well known, such as accidental war, collapse of an established democracy, and even geomagnetic disruption. Yeah, when you put it like that, and, and certainly when you read the report, you know, the world is a bit of a scary place, and it is. We need to think about risks in terms of probabilities and, and impact. I mean, you spoke about some there that, you know, they may be very 
unlikely, they may be very low on the probability stakes, but they'll have a huge impact. People tend to, you know, go in herds. They tend to look at the same issue. You know, when things are in the front page of newspapers and the news every night, that's where people's attention is. And often they miss everything else that's going on. A lot of risks are interconnected. A lot of risks can be amplified or speeded up by, by a given risk actually comes back to diversity. And we often just sort of ignore or shelve some risks. One of the ways to combat that bias is to ensure you have diversity vo voices around the table and make sure that risk landscape is complete. So I completely agree with Guy here. Eugenie, Guy, thank you very much for sharing your insights. And to our listeners, check out other episodes and related content at biggerpicture.ft.com.